Welcome back to What's on Your Mind. I'm Dr. Gene Bresson. And I'm Dr. Steve Schlossman. And we're child psychiatrists at the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds at the Massachusetts General Hospital. Here's what we'll talk about today. Today we're going to be talking about one of the most vexing, difficult problems. Fortunately, not that common, but when it happens, it's really tough for kids, parents, and teachers, and that is separation anxiety. Let me start by giving one of the more dramatic stories, but one that I encountered when I was uh, beginning as a, as a psychiatrist. A kid who was seven years old was brought to my office after his father was trying to take him to school. And he was kicking and screaming and fighting and thrashing around that a police officer accosted the man and asked the child, is this man trying to take you away? It looked like the kid was being kidnapped. And dad said, no, you know, and the cop said to the police officer, said to the little boy, is this your father? And he said, yes. (laughs) And they let him go. This kid would not go to school. He would create havoc. So many times separation anxiety will present in less dramatic forms than than this, but it can be pretty, pretty awful for the kid and for the parents. No, it's a perfect story. I mean, you know, Gene, the English teacher in me can't help but to note that when you say vaccine difficult, it's a tad <laughs> redundant, except for the fact that these are difficult, difficult moments for, for families. So it's you're just sort of emphasizing the fact that no one quite knows what to do. I mean, these are chaotic times when the kids are holding on to their parents and they grab at the doors. You're trying to get them into preschool and parents are beside themselves. The kids are beside themselves. But before we even go there, we've all seen this. How is this formally defined? What's it look like? So separation anxiety is a problem that, that children have generally after age three or four, leaving home or leaving their primary caretakers and going to school, to friend's house or other public places. They need to know where their parent is. They're desperate. They're fearing that something terrible is going to be happening to them. Well, wait, so you going to public places, you mean without the primary caregiver? Without, without the parent. So they're fine if the parent's with them. They're fine if the parent is with them. Okay. They're fine if the parent is with them. They're fine. And interestingly, they're fine once they get there and they're familiar people. But it's the process of separation. So when they go to a sleepover at a kid's house, even if they know the kid, they get terrified. They get homesick if they're going away to camp. They have problems traveling. If they're going to a hotel and their parents want to go out to dinner and they're staying with a a babysitter that they don't really know, they can't do it. So this is always – this has bugged me since my training and maybe this is because my my kids are younger. I mean now they're 9 and 14 but I'm closer to the time when they were were little – and I remember them doing this kind of naturally. Like I remember my daughters when they were around nine months old having almost the same behavior and the pediatrician saying, don't worry about it. This is this is normal developmentally. And then I remember being taught that in my child psychiatry residency. So what part of this is normal? What part's not? So kids starting at about nine months, 10 months will have what's called stranger anxiety. That's where they kind of look at, you know, you can pass, you know, an infant around the table to everybody and they'll be cooing and and giggling and but about nine months they'll look at somebody's face and they'll recognize that that's not their parent now that's called stranger anxiety and they freak out and that's normal that's normal that's absolutely normal and in fact it's important and also kids will have trouble separating from their parents you know up to about two or three and that's normal too because it's a survival mechanism we need to be 
in our home base with our parents, with our caregivers in a safe place. And that's just normal behavior. But when it goes beyond toddlerhood, when it goes to age four, five, six, eight, ten, and kids, 10, 12-year-olds can't go to sleep by themselves, can't go to school, have headaches, have stomach aches. When, you know, Sunday nights, they get all these physical complaints. They have nightmares if they're sleeping alone and they want to climb into their parents' beds. They can't sleep by themselves. And, you know, we've seen, you've probably seen 10 or 12-year-olds that can't sleep alone. They they panic. Yeah, and I would add that, you know, in addition to the 10 or 12-year-olds, we move to younger ages, toddlers can raise an awful lot of heck here. So so they can make so much noise, as the story you told in the beginning, that we might start to think, we might not call this a disorder. So we might say, hey, this is developmentally normal, but this is a particularly strong kid and particularly strong-willed. And so in the setting of separation anxiety, they are particularly determined not to separate from the parent. That's something we could get called on for also. We're not going to call it a disorder, but they no. can still use our help. That's right. So in other words, there's a spectrum of uh, problems. So for example, shy kids or anxious kids may be more prone to this than other kids. Now, does that mean that they have bona fide separation anxiety disorder? They may or they may not. But in some ways, the labels don't matter. It's really kind of the functional aspects of life that matter the most. So when you want or expect a kid to be able to go to first, second, third grade, and they can't get there, and they're having temper tantrums, and they're kicking and screaming, and they're desperate you know, to come home, that's a problem that has to be addressed. Well, you know, I, I remember... I agree that we have to address those. I remember learning that there were certain associated factors, that there were things that kids with separation anxiety had in common with other kids with the same kinds of challenges. And it was stuff that almost sounded like we were sort of blaming the parents, so so close-knit families or maybe more demanding families or families that say maybe are more protective of their kids than other ones. And how, how, how do we talk to parents about this? Well, it's interesting. You know, all medical disorders, all psychiatric disorders um, have a biological component, a familial component, an environmental component. That's what we've been saying all year. I know. And, 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 and we say it over and over again. And so you get a kid who's wired for fear, who has a, a rapid resting heart rate, who has high cortisol levels, who may, be, he may have uh, anxiety disorders in their family, who's shy. And then you have parents who, for better or worse, tend to be uh, maybe a little overprotective, very close knit. Uh, they, you know, they they they're reluctant to encourage autonomy, just because they're taking care of a kid who's fragile and they're sensitive to that. So they're tr- they're doing the right thing, right. but they all play together to kind of reinforce for the child that the world is a scary, dangerous, horrible place, and their biology and what the environment is telling them all adds up to the same thing, meaning. Don't go anywhere, just stay put. Right. So these these were the studies that, that we've known for a long time that anxiety, whether we consider it pathologic anxiety or just higher anxiety among normal folks, is highly heritable. So you get this this kind of feedback loop where the parents are already a little bit anxious, the kid then is anxious, that makes the parents more anxious, which makes the kid more anxious, and it kind of spirals up towards a place where it really impairs function. So what do we do about it? Well, first of all, before we talk about let, what we do about it, let's talk about the, 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 the problems. Some of these kids will refuse to go to school. There may be academic problems. There may be social problems. They may, you know, um, they'll affect their parents. Parents are frustrated. Parents are frequently called away. They're called to school. They're called away from work. You know, they won't go to the pediatrician to get their normal child exams because the pediatrician wants to see the kid maybe alone without the parent. So, these are the problems. So what do we do? 
Well, the main thing we have to do is we have to uh, use um, what we call cognitive behavioral therapy primarily. We have to help desensitize them or help them adjust to a new situation. So if like you're scared of heights, you don't go up to the top of the Hancock Tower or the Empire State Building on the first day. You go to the first floor and then the third floor and then the fifth floor. And the same thing is true for separation. So what's called systematic desensitization or a systematic way of helping the kid adjust to what they're afraid of is you take the kid to school. You drop them off and you walk in with them for the first week. You take them to the nurse's station or to their teacher. Then you back off a little bit. Uh, and then you back off a little bit. And then you back off a little bit. And that helps them adjust. So that's one technique that's often used. Another one is to help the kids um, think more clearly. I mean, if they're thinking that leaving home, their thoughts are telling them something terrible is going to happen, you have to help them learn that those thoughts are an exaggeration and some kind of a distortion and that it's really not as bad as you think it is. And you know, that's an important point. You're not going to find that out unless you ask. So, so, so the child is not wanting to separate from their parent, and you don't say, are you worried about something happening at home? You're not going to get that information. You're not going to be able to work with it. And so don't, you know, this, I remember you teaching me this, never forget to ask the child directly what it is they're worried about, because otherwise we'll make assumptions that turn out not to be true. So we use behavioral techniques. We use open-ended questioning, what are you worried about? And then we correct their thinking when it's exaggerated or distorted. And then we also can use physical things. We need to help kids calm down. Meditation is an incredibly powerful technique that can help alleviate or dramatically reduce anxiety. And very young kids can learn meditation and relaxation techniques, and they can actually practice it over and over again and help calm themselves down. And, and, and just to be clear, you don't try to teach them the meditation during the separation anxiety. <laughs> you teach it to them beforehand so that they have those skills in place so that they can use it when right. they're feeling anxious. Right. And, you know, we should also add that there is a role for medications here in, you know, somewhat rare circumstances, but they're there. If you have an awful lot of anxiety, there is, you know, pretty good evidence that medicines, antidepressants, SSRIs, can decrease anxiety um, even in children. Well, there are, a whole, there are a whole bunch of different medications that are generally fairly, you know, very safe in, in many cases, and they need to be monitored. But the main purpose of the medication is to help teach the kid um, how to adjust, to help them calm themselves down enough to be able to learn the proper behaviors, the proper thoughts, the proper relaxation techniques. And then most of these kids can be weaned off the medication. So if we're going to do that, that's really important. There's another thing besides working with the kid and working with medications that I think is probably most important, and that is working with the parents. I mean, parents need guidance and training. Most parents don't have a clue what to do when your kid is having a temper tantrum. You know, parents need to know what do we do, when do we intervene, how do we train the kid, and how do we train ourselves to not get so upset. So some parent training is really important as right, well. Right, right. So like everything else we do, which is why we went into this field, you can't just sit with the child. You can't just sit with the parents. You can't even just call the school. You got to do all of this, right? You got to be in touch with everybody. And this is a problem actually that although is – vexing and difficult, as you said at the beginning, it's also highly solvable. Right. And so let me give you the follow-up to this story. It turns out that I started seeing this this little guy, and I saw his parents, and I did a lot of all of what we were talking about. I um, used a little bit of medication. I helped teach the parents how to work with him. I helped him learn to relax. And within six months, he was back in school. And within a year, he was sleeping 
alone and he was able to to go to school. Now, he continued to have some problems with anxiety because he was an anxious little guy. But once we got him over the hump of being able to go to school and have play dates and have and eventually have sleepovers and be able to sleep by himself, we could work on on more sophisticated or higher level problems that, you know, helped him, you know, do very very well. So good ending. Okay, well, if you have any other questions or comments or want to make some additions to our website, please feel free to visit us at the MGH Clay Center and let us know uh, what you think. I'm Gene Bereson. And I'm Steve Schlossman. See you next time.